Well, good morning again, everybody, and thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Maybe you're on YouTube or Facebook or our website. Thank you for being a part as well. If you're here in the room, that'd be a good time to check in on social media. Let your friends and loved ones know that you are worshiping here on this beautiful day, second day, second Sunday of the new year. Is it still okay to say Happy New Year? Probably. I guess you get all of January to say that. So happy new year as well. And um, we're going to jump into the word here in just a minute. Um, but there, there's something that I would like to address that happened this week in our nation. And um, as a pastor, I've, I feel compelled to address a little bit of it. I won't take too much time. Um, first off, free expression of one's belief is a gift given to us, a privilege, a right given to us in the First Amendment to the Constitution. It talks about freedom of speech, freedom of religion. That's, that's why this country was founded, by the way, to get away from religious persecution so we can worship God. It also includes a freedom of assembly. That includes, by the way, freedom of protests. And we have the right to protest. And Lord knows we've seen plenty of it the last eight or nine months, right? We do not have the right, however, to storm the Capitol building, shoot and steal and carry on. We do not have the right to riot, burn businesses and towns and shut down cities. Rioting and shooting and burning is not the answer. We need to turn down the temperature in this nation so we can have some good dialogue with someone that doesn't see eye to eye with what, what we view. Secondly, and I want to preface this, that this is not meant to be political at all. We are a church that you will find, if you're new here, that strongly believes in the inerrancy of God's word. We don't preach a political affiliation here. We preach the word of God. And uh, Democrats and Republicans have let us down. Neither is infallible. Neither has the corner market on righteousness. Okay, they all have their flaws. And the 117th session of Congress opened on January 3rd. Now, you may know that every other year when the new Congress meets on January 3rd, uh, they open with prayer. And uh, actually, before I, before I get into that part, um, if it happens to fall on Sunday, most of the time, they'll move that to the, the, to the following Monday. That way, we can honor Judeo-Christian values, one of which is we honor the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day. However, Congress chose to meet on the Lord's Day, on Sunday the 3rd. Uh, quick little plug for Chick-fil-A. They should have taken Chick-fil-A's model, right? And taken a day off. <laughs> uh, but they chose to meet on the Sabbath day. They chose to start that session. And there was an individual there that had uh, the privilege of opening that session with prayer. Because again, every two years they open and close the sessions with prayer. So on this 117th Congress, uh, they opened in prayer and um, I'm not trying to be dramatic with my words here. I'm relatively smooth and even. You can probably sense that. Uh, that being said, what happened in that, and I'm going to put in quotes, prayer, was abhorrent and blasphemous. 
after quoting scripture in this individual's prayer, they then closed the prayer with we ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, who's, by the way, one of the Hindu gods, which is a polytheistic religion, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Now, ironically, he said these words in a room that in the room is etched probably right behind him, in God we trust, meaning the God, the Judeo-Christian God, the one true God. This person did not mention the name of Jesus or Yahweh or Jehovah or the one true God. And in John chapter 16, Jesus himself says, pray in my name, pray in the name of Jesus. Now, that's not supposed to be some sort of a, like magic formula that you put on the tag, oh, and I prayed in Jesus' name. What he was doing there is he's saying, pray in my name, pray to God under the authority that I have given you through my work on the cross. Then what got the most attention in that prayer and made for funny memes. By the way, some of you have no, might not know what I'm talking about, and, and that's okay. <laughs> you need to hear this anyways. I was telling somebody, I'm like, I had no idea that that happened. I'm like, good for you for having the news off, <laughs> right? But uh, what got the most attention in this prayer uh, and actually made for some pretty funny memes, I have to admit, that were floating around there on social media, was uh, that this person prayed at the end. He said, a man and a woman. Yeah, some of you are hearing this for the first time. Yes. Absolute nonsensical. And again, irony of all ironies, this is the Congress that is trying to degenderize terminology from the floor. This is a Congress that has said, no, you can't call it mom and dad. You can't say grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, brother, sister. You can't do that. So they, ironically, they insert gender on something that has absolutely nothing to do with gender. Amen has nothing to do with gender, but rather declares, let it be true or let it be so. That's what amen means. So kids, um, I'm just, we're kind of grieved for you especially. More than ever, you need to be young men and young women of the word. You need to know the scripture, you need to know the Bible, and you need to know the God of the Bible, okay? Because this kind of nonsense is just going to increase, and it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told us about the last days. He said, you can tell the signs by the weather. Well, you can also tell signs when the soon return of Jesus is going to be. We did a whole eight-week series on the end times last fall. You should go back and, and watch it if you haven't yet. We shouldn't be surprised by this at all, but we need to be equipped. And so, uh, parents, make sure that you are leading your families, leading your children in study of the Bible, study of God's word. But it does, if you're like me, it grieves our heart. It grieves my heart. I can't believe that we have gotten here so quickly. It's unbelievable to me. Our nation is under and headed for some serious judgment. Now, if you walk with Jesus, we've talked about this. You are not destined to judgment. 
You are protected. He is for you. He's not coming after you. Uh, living in this nation, you may feel some of that side effect, though, because God is a just God, and he will not allow this kind of blasphemy, blasphemy to take place. This is no small thing, in my opinion. You know, sometimes, uh, candidly, I've been guilty. Oh, they didn't know what they were doing. We're just going to sweep that under the rug. This happened in the U.S. Capitol building, and God takes notice. He sees it. So, Galatians 6, 7, Paul writing said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And a man reaps what he sows. And so in America, we have been mocking God. We have been, we have been sowing seeds of, of, of apostasy and rejecting biblical truths. And so judgment is coming and, in fact, is already here. You need to be prepared for that. You don't need to be fearful, however. You don't need to be afraid. Our response is what it has always been. We are going to continue to shine the light of truth and shine the light of Jesus. Okay? This is a very dark world. We understand that. And again, Jesus told us this was going to happen. But when it's really dark... It emphasizes all the more the importance for the light. And we have the light of Jesus in us. And so I also think of the scripture where sin abounds. It is certainly abounding, isn't it? It's everywhere. Grace, however, much more abounds. So that's some good news. So I'm not trying to paint this dire picture. We were not destined for judgment. We are destined to victory, and so we walk in victory but we need to be ready and we need to keep sharing Jesus with others in a loving way. In a loving way. We don't match fire with fire. When they, uh, when they uh, slap us on the cheek, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. <laughs> so we're not going to get down in the mud with them because then we all have mud on us, don't we? We're just going to keep shining the light of Jesus. We're going to keep holding to biblical truths. We are going to stand our ground, but we're going to do it in a loving and truthful way. But it's true that Jesus is coming soon. You know, during the, the, the series, Tipping Point is what we called it, about the soon return of Jesus, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins that were waiting for the groom. The virgins representing the bride, Jesus representing the groom. Well, Scripture tells us that the church is the bride. So he, in essence, was saying, we've got ten virgins, five he said were wise, five were foolish. Jesus was saying that half of the church would not be ready for his return. What a sad statement. Again, I do not want to bash other churches. We are not here to do that, but we are committed to God's word. We want to be found, approved, studying the word of God. And so we want to be part of the five wise virgins. Amen, somebody? Yeah. We want to be ready. We must be ready. So we have to tell everybody that we can, as long as we can, with as much love and joy as we can, hey, I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. I was a dirty, messed up, rotten scoundrel. But Jesus came and made all things new. Did you know that he even saved a sinner like you? That's pretty awesome. He saved a sinner like me. And so we're not going to pound people over the head with the Bible and say, repent, you sinner. 
we're gonna lovingly point them to Jesus. We're just gonna lovingly, it's the, what is it? Truth in love. We're gonna give them the truth of God's love, uh, the truth of God's word in a spirit of love because Jesus is coming soon. In fact, look at somebody right next to you. Tell them, Jesus is coming soon. Okay, are we good? All right. Thank you for letting me uh, share that today. We just need to speak what, with what is happening in culture, and so uh, I didn't want that moment to slide. So uh, we are in week number three of a three-part series we are calling Dangerous Prayers, and as you know, we are in the midst of fasting, and uh, fasting, of course, is a spiritual discipline that I don't often get really excited about because we like to please the flesh, don't we? We like to really indulge in that good, delicious meal we like to binge watch uh, the TV and chill out. We like to uh, feed the lust of the eyes and the flesh to be fulfilled. But here's the thing. When we allow the flesh to be in charge, it only brings temporary satisfaction. Because the next time you have to feed that flesh, you have to do it with a little more. Right? It's, it's how the alcoholic, he didn't become an alcoholic with one drink. You know, he liked that first drink or she, and then one wasn't enough, and then it had to be more and more, and then all of a sudden you're an alcoholic. Same with those that struggle with pornography. You know, it, it, they didn't struggle with pornography from one glance at that female body or whatever it might have been. But the flesh kind of liked what it saw and said, oh, you know what, I think I could maybe look at that image a little longer. And then, you know what, that's not enough. I might need to Look at this image or that image. And then all of a sudden it's spiraling out of control and you're on these websites that you would never have thought you would have been on. And so that's what we're doing. We're saying no to the flesh because what you feed grows. And so we are intentionally starving the flesh because we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Body being the flesh. And, and the soul is kind of stuck in the middle here. And it gets a taste for the flesh and the body. And so it starts devising schemes and ways to, ooh, how can I get a little more of this, a little more of that? It devises ways to feed the flesh because it enjoyed so much. And before you know it, your flesh becomes in charge of your entire being. Part of the 21 days of fasting is that we're gonna starve the flesh. You know, when Paul mentions it, he puts it in a different order. He didn't do body, soul, spirit. He actually put it in the correct order, spirit, soul, and body. Listen to this from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. So Paul correctly orders it, spirit, soul, then body. And so once we starve the body and start feeding the spirit, the soul is once again in the middle, but now it's starting to devise schemes and ways to get more of the spirit fed. Like, man, I just like being in the presence of the Lord. I don't care if I miss the latest episode of that show because I want to be in the presence of the Lord. I don't care if I have to miss that food or that dessert or whatever it might be because I want to spend more time with the Lord. 
And so as we begin this new year, we are being challenged in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, but also to be bolder and more dangerous in our prayers, to not take the route of safety and convenience and comfortable. When we do that, we limit God and we actually limit our own potential when we offer just simple, all about me, convenience type of prayers. We check the box of the day and then we move on. God is looking for people who are going to pray some bold, dangerous prayers. I'm talking about prayers that change eternity, prayers that shake hell, prayers that send demons on the run, prayer that enlarges and expands the kingdom of God. So I wonder, when was the last time I prayed? I'm being vulnerable, as I often am, probably to a fault. When was the last time I prayed that kind of prayer that God or maybe Jesus said, hey, come over here, angels. Did you just hear what Ferguson was praying down there in Maryland? That was some bold prayers that he just prayed. That was some dangerous, faith-filled, audacious praying that he did. I think I'm going to do something down there. I wonder when the last time God took notice of our prayers. You know, following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Now, he is going to keep us in the palm of his hand, in his shelter of the Almighty, all of that, yes. But life with Jesus was never meant to be safe. He said, you've got to count the cost. It was never meant to be safe. So there's going to be moments where we've got to step out, be vulnerable, be bold, maybe even be dangerous. And so Pastor Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Dangerous Prayers that I've really dug into, and he split the book into three parts. He uh, split it into search me, break me, and send me. And last week, we talked about search me. We said, search me, O God. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sin. And then lead me. And then next week, we're going to look at, at the third part of that prayer where he says, send me. But before he sends us and after he searches us, he's going to break us. And that seems like a crazy out there, even as I say it out loud, Lord, break me. That just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But as we pray, Lord, would you break me? I believe it has the power and the potential for greater blessing and purpose and anointing in your life. How many have come to realize that there are moments of breaking that are coming into your life? You don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. It's inevitable. We are going to be broken. It's part of life. Unless you don't have any feelings or emotions at all, there's going to be moments where you feel completely rejected and discouraged and that moments of, I don't know how I can even go on. And since we're going to have moments of breaking, I'd much rather be broken in the hands of God, in the hands of Jesus, the creator, the potter. So that's our bold, dangerous prayer today. Lord, would you break me? And as we study this, we're going to be in the the book of Mark. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Turn to chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a couple of different scenes here in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The first one begins in... uh, Verse number three, Mark 14, verse three. While he was in Bethany, he, of course, being Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. This Simon the leper clearly is not one of the disciples. 
perhaps someone that had experienced the healing power of Jesus because there's a big group of people in his home, so he's not leprous now. So perhaps uh, someone that Jesus had healed, Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So this is Jesus, uh, just before the Last Supper, just before his betrayal, Jesus and his disciples are in Bethany. This is a town just right outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is the honored guest, kind of at the the head table here. And uh, Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, they also happen to live in Bethany. And John's account of this story tells us that the woman who did this is Lazarus' sister, Mary. Of course, Lazarus was the one that that died and was in a tomb for four days, and Jesus came and and resurrected him. Uh, But John tells us that the Mary in this story is the sister of Lazarus. And it was custom in a home, in a Jewish home, Jewish meal, for the honored guest to be anointed with oil. However, this was atypical in in the fact that it was very expensive perfume. This is the kind of uh, oil, uh, the expensive kind of oil that would have been reserved for royal or messianic anointing. So Mary, recognizing the divinity of Jesus, recognizing the royalty of Jesus, brought the best of the best for Jesus. And Mark tells us that this perfume was very, very expensive. Now, maybe you'll go down to Boscov's or Macy's or, or wherever you go to shop, and you'll look at the perfume section, and maybe, maybe if you're like me, it's like, ooh, $80, that's kind of expensive. <laughs> this is not an $80 bottle of cologne. This cologne or, 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 or uh, anointing oil is not $80 expensive, but uh, an average yearly salary kind of expensive. That's why it bothered the disciples so much. You're spending a year's salary on this anointing oil that you're just going to break and pour out. But Mary was bringing the very best that she could. Now, Scripture doesn't say that she was uh, abounding in riches and was very uh, rich and wealthy. We find no evidence of that. So this likely cost her an incredible sacrifice. It it likely uh, caused her to maybe sell some of her precious possessions or save her money. Whatever the case, she chose to bring Jesus the most precious and costly thing that she had to be broken and poured before Jesus, her Messiah. Here's all I have. Here's all that represents what I hold dear and precious. I break it and I pour it out before you. 
She, in essence, was saying, Lord, you have loved me so much that I'm going to break open my most valuable and precious possession that I have in a selfless and expensive and extravagant act of worship, broken and poured out before you, Jesus. Wow, what an incredible story. What an incredible act of worship and surrender. Now, interestingly enough, in this same chapter, Mark chapter 14, if we go down a little further, the next scene that we find in verse 22 we're going to read this uh, together. Jesus, in the moments before he's about to be betrayed, uh, mocked, put on trial, beaten, scourged, and then eventually crucified, he's having his last supper, his last meal with his good friends, the 12 disciples. And we're going to pick up the story just a few verses down at Mark 14, 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks... Here's that word again. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Broken and poured. Notice Jesus broke the bread, representing his body that was about to be broken, and then he poured the cup. He poured the wine, of course, representing his blood that was about to be spilled for our salvation. Jesus voluntarily said, break me and pour me out. He voluntarily chose to be broken and poured. Now, Luke's account of this same scene gives a couple of different details. Luke chapter 22, verse 17, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Well, what did he mean by this? A lot of us understand that this is communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to often remember what I'm about to do for you on the cross by partaking in communion, which, by the way, we're going to do that in a few moments. Hopefully you have a cup. Uh, those of you that are joining online, if you, you might want to take a quick break. Go get yourself some juice and some bread because we're going to do communion in just a moment. But we take the bread and the cup and remember what Jesus did for us. That's the this that he's talking about. We do this in remembrance of him. In fact, 2,000 years later, we are still doing this. We are still remembering and partaking in communion. Now, some Bible scholars have suggested that maybe when Jesus said, do this, it wasn't meant only for the ceremony of communion. Maybe this was supposed to be more than that. Now, of course, we are still supposed to do communion. We all believe that. But maybe what Jesus meant is that we should follow his example by allowing ourselves, just like Jesus did, to be broken and poured out. Not just breaking the bread and pouring the cup, but allowing ourselves to be broken 
and poured out. Doing this in remembrance of Jesus is more than a ceremony or ritual. That's certainly important and we should do that and we are going to continue to do that, but we should also follow the example of voluntarily being broken and poured out. Part of following Jesus means we live like Jesus lived. And Jesus allowed himself to be broken and poured out. Okay, so what exactly does that mean? We don't just do an act of remembrance. We live in remembrance. So we don't just stop at the act of remembering. We don't just stop there where we take communion and then we move on. We actually live our lives in remembrance of him who gave his life for us. Are you following me? Broken and poured out. Mary broke what she had and poured it out before the Lord. Jesus' very body was broken and poured out for us. And so we should follow the example of Mary and Jesus that we find both in the Gospel of Mark by allowing ourselves to be broken before the Lord and poured out to the Lord. And I believe that God responds to our brokenness. In fact, I believe he takes delight in our brokenness. Not because he's taking delight and happy uh, and, and wanting to hurt us and looking out to, to get us, but because he knows that as we are broken in his hands, he can rebuild us, he can remake us, he can reshape us into what he wants us to be. In fact, I would say, and scripture will back me up here, that God is actually more interested in your brokenness than in your sacrifice. He's more interested in your brokenness than your sacrifice. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 51. He said this beginning with verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now, for context, David was in a broken moment when he wrote this psalm. The prophet Nathan confronted him and said, hey, king, there's sin in your life. In fact, he laid out this scenario, and David was like, oh, that sounds terrible. He's like, ah, it is terrible, and you are that man. He got caught. And if you want, well, what did he do that was so bad? Uh, you can look it up in the scripture, but he committed adultery with a woman na named Bathsheba. She was a married woman, and, uh, and her husband was one of David's warriors. And he brought her to the palace, slept with her, and then to cover the sin, to cover the fact that he got her pregnant, he had her husband killed on the battlefield. He was broken. He was in a place of desperation. And Lord, please, please forgive me. In fact, verse 10 of this same psalm is probably the hallmark verse of this psalm where David in desperation said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or renew a steadfast spirit in me. But here in verse 16 and 17, he's talking to the Lord, acknowledging that it's not animal sacrifice that the Lord is looking for. Now, Jesus hadn't come yet, and so to, uh, to pay for the penalty of sin, back in the Old Testament days, they would sacrifice animals 
for the repentance of sin. And David, I'm sure, he, he probably would have been happy to sacrifice a thousand animals if it meant he would have been, been right with the Lord. But here in this psalm, he recognized that it's an internal change that God is looking for. He's looking for an internal change of the heart, not an exterior act of worship by sacrificing animals. What God desired even more than the sacrifice of animals was David's heart. Created me a clean heart. He recognized that God was more impressed with an internal change than an external ritual. A true sacrifice comes from a deep work on the inside. A brokenness that comes to God in a spirit of humility and says and recognizes, Lord, I give myself to you. I am but a sinner. Would you break me? Would you make me? Would you mold me? I give my life to be broken and poured out to you. More of you, God, less of me. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a vulnerable prayer. It acknowledges and recognizes our need to be stripped and broken of the things that God needs to purify in us. But I believe, check this out, that praying this prayer has the potential to bring tremendous blessing in your life as well. What if the blessing is in the breaking? Maybe write that down in your blue notebooks. The breaking is in the blessing. One of the coolest miracles that Jesus did while here on the earth was the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you've been teaching for a really long time, and I think you need to send the people home or at least maybe feed them. And Jesus said, well, that's, that's a good idea, fellas. In fact, why don't you feed them? And so we see this incredible miracle that happens of the feeding of 5,000. I want to take a, a look in the book of Mark, chapter 6. The disciples are coming to Jesus, and they're like, all we've got is this little boy's lunch. We've got five loaves of bread and, and two fishes. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, meaning Jesus, gave thanks, here's the word again, and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. So Jesus took the fish, took the loaves of bread, and then after he broke it, the supernatural blessing started to take place. Isn't that interesting? It was after the breaking that the supernatural began to happen. The breaking caused the blessing. As Jesus broke the bread and started handing it out, it began to multiply. What does that mean for us? Listen to this. If you refuse to be broken, you may very well be refusing your blessing. If you refuse to be broken before the Lord, if you refuse to let him break you of those sins and those flaws and those impurities, you could be forfeiting God's blessing for your life. It's the breaking of life that brings the blessing of life. Let me try it over here. It's the breaking of life that brings the blessing of life. 
Only when you are broken can you experience God's blessing because the breaking brings the blessing. Without the breaking, there's no blessing. You know, in this story of the feeding of the 5,000, there was no increase, there was no blessing, there was no supernatural multiplication until after the breaking. See, we like the blessing. We just don't like the breaking, do we? Lord, I would rather choose the comfortable way. I would like to choose the unbothered way, please. I'll take the blessing, not the breaking. And see, sometimes we'll look at that person that's experiencing God's blessing, they're like, I want that. Not realizing what they have gone through, the breaking that they've lived through to experience the blessing that they are now walking in. Amen? Every time that you are rejected, every time that you are alienated, every time that you were cursed, every time that you were disappointed, every time that you were broken, those times of breaking, God was using it to bring about his blessing in your life. The greatest blessings come out of the hardest breakings. This is why we don't get discouraged when we go through times of breaking. We can stay encouraged. All right, I'm being broken right now. That means there must be a greater blessing on the other side. (laughs) I've been through enough times of breaking to know that on the other side is a bigger blessing. The bigger the blessing, I'm sorry, the bigger the breaking the bigger the blessing. In fact, look at someone next to you. You tell them that right now. The bigger the breaking, the bigger the blessing. Come on, do it again. Look at your second choice, your other neighbor. The bigger the breaking, the bigger the blessing. On the other side of your breaking is blessing. On the other side of your test is testimony. On the other side of your breakdown is a breakthrough. Come on, somebody. Let's give God praise today. Amen. Come on, right now, let's just thank him right there in your seat. Lord, we thank you, even in the times of breaking, that you are working all things together for our good. You never waste those moments of breaking. So Lord, right now, we voluntarily place our lives into your hands. We say, Lord, we surrender to you. Would you break us? Would you mold us? Would you make us like you? Would you make us more like Jesus? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, as we close today, I want to do a couple of things. Let's spend some moments with God and allow him to do some breaking. And then in just a few moments, we're going to partake in communion. In fact, if you didn't uh, get that cup, I think there's some hosts uh, that are in the room that if you need, just kind of lift your hand, hold it there, and they will find you and bring you the cup and the bread. But before we do that, I know we have kids in the room, and I love that, by the way. I love hearing the cries and the shouts. I love that. But let's, let's make this a holy moment. Okay, let's have minimal moving around right now. I want to allow the Spirit of God to do some deep work in your heart right now. So before we take communion, I'm just going to ask you right there in your seat, bow your heads, close your eyes. You don't have to do this, but if you're here with family, if you want to do it with family, you can do that too in a moment. But let's take just a few moments right here in our seat and ask God to break us. Come on, let's reverently... Spend some time with the Lord for just a moment. Lord, what is it in my life that needs to be broken? What are those strongholds in my life that you need to tear down 
Maybe it's that last stronghold that's keeping me from a deeper walk with you, that's keeping me from going to my next level with you, that's keeping me from deeper intimacy with you, Lord. Would you break me? Lord, some of my friends in this room, they are in the breaking right now. I pray that they would place themselves in your hands. We thank you, Lord, that you never waste those moments of breaking. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Maybe it's a relationship that you haven't surrendered and and God's trying to break you from that relationship that's toxic. Maybe you've been comfortable in that relationship, but God's trying to break it from you. Maybe it's some sort of habit. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a spirit of judgmentalism. Whatever it might be, just allow the Lord to break you. I'm gonna turn my mic off for just a moment. Do business with the Lord. Lord, when life seems to be falling apart, when life seems to be caving in on us, I pray that we would have the courage to allow you to break us. Help us to have the courage to say, without you, God, I am nothing, and I'm just gonna remain broken. I'm finished, Lord, without you. Lord, break me. I put myself in your hands right now. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, advises us to examine ourselves. So I'm going to read the scripture from chapter 11, verse 27. So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone, listen to this word, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Let's take Paul's advice and just for one more moment, can we examine ourselves? Can we ask God to cleanse us? Take just a moment right there. Break us, Lord Jesus. Break us, Lord Jesus. See if there be any wicked way in me. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your heart. Before we take communion, just ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. Recognize that he is the way, the truth, the life. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. Just tell him, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my need for you. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you died and rose again on the cross for my sin. I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sin. And from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. If you said that prayer, we believe you're born again. You are a Christ follower. And that's all he asks us to do is to follow him. And so maybe this communion will be the first that you are taking as a follower of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to just ask all of us, if you can, at the bottom of that cup, there's a piece of bread, a cracker. Can we take that together? Take that cracker out and hold it in your hand for just a moment. 
In that same passage, just a few verses earlier, verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writing, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we do that together now? Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Amen. Amen. Now can we stand together all over the room? Let's stand. Come on, let's take just a moment and thank Jesus for being broken and poured out for our salvation. Being broken and poured out for our redemption. Isn't that awesome? Broken and poured out for our liberty, for our freedom. Come on, let's lift our voice. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We thank you for the work on the cross. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was spilled for us. Lord, we proclaim that we are yours. We belong to you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing together now.